If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media. The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83Bar. Look for The Patients Speak on your favorite podcast app. Tap into your most original thinking. Organize your ideas and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And when we say unlock, there are so many times that we as creative people get stuck and the doors closed. You know, we're wiggling the key, we're trying to kick the door down to get our project or our creativity moving. And we just need uh, some new strategies, some new help. I mean, we're nearing 250 episodes of our podcast and almost every one of them, somewhere along the way, we've talked to the creative person who's been stuck. Might be writer's block or some other stuckness. And we're, we're going to have a great conversation today about ways to get unstuck. And I'm just so honored and pleased to have as our guest, Adam Alter. He's a professor at NYU Stern uh, Business and Marketing and, and Psychology, and he's the author of a terrific new book just released. It's called The Anatomy of a Breakthrough. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Well, you know, in this uh, book, I have to say, it's not one of these little tiny motivational books like the you can do it kind of a book. Uh, there's 29 pages of references and research <laughs> in the back <laughs> of this book. So it's well-researched. But give us an overview of what you found in your research about stuckness and, and kind of some strategies that you've uh, outlined to get unstuck. Yeah, so the book is really a roadmap for getting unstuck. It's designed that way. It's designed to be very practical, but also to be grounded in science, which is why it has all of those pages of references. Once a scientist, always a scientist. Mm -hmm. And um, it it basically boils down to four big steps. And each of those steps includes three chapters that try to unpack that step. And they go by, the. they all have titles that begin with the letter H. So the first section is titled Help. And the idea behind help is that a lot of us don't fully understand what it is to be stuck. We seem to be blindsided by stuckness and by change. We tend to think that we're isolated or alone in our stuckness, but in fact, it's universal. And so that that first section is designed to demystify what it is to be stuck, to explain it and to tell people that it's going to happen so they should be ready for it. The second, third and fourth sections are all ways of getting unstuck or a sort of three-part model for getting unstuck. And they go by the by the the terms heart, which is dealing with the emotional consequences of feeling stuck because we tend to be anxious. It's a very negative experience, at least initially. Uh, head, which is all the strategies we can use to get unstuck, the cognitive strategies, the the mental strategies for getting unstuck. And the last section is habit, which is really about the actions we can take to get unstuck. And all of this really ultimately is in the service of action. You can't get unstuck just by changing how you feel or changing how you think. You actually have to do something. And so that's the culminating part of the book. The, the culmination of the book is this section that says we have to act. Action is paramount. And this is what you should actually be doing with yourself. Mm -hmm. And Adam, when you say we all get stuck sometimes, I, I'm uh, struck by the stories in the book of well-known 
you know, name brand writers, for example, Harper Lee you know, wrote To Kill a Mockingbird in 1960, but the sequel didn't come out until 2015. <laughs> you know, where was the writer's block in all those years? But I was particularly George R. R. Martin, who's, of course, the stories, you know, uh, informed and inspired Game of Thrones. So $3 billion of entertainment, you know, later. Uh, but he never wrote some of the following books that he said I always wanted to get around to. So even even these, you know, high level people get stuck. Yeah, I think the the reason to focus on very talented, very successful people is because if they are stuck, and they are, all of them at times feel stuck, then that liberates the rest of us. It it allows us to accept that we will probably be stuck as well. And if they if they're struggling with it in the case of Harper Lee for 55 years, you know, some people are stuck for half a lifetime or longer. Um, then first of all, that's unfortunate and there should be a way through it for them. And the good news is there is a way through. It's really just a matter of understanding the science and, and getting all the, the steps in a row and figuring out what to do next. And, and there, there is so much you can do if you know where to look. Yes. Well, and the empathy in this help section uh, the, of the step that you mentioned of you know really understanding that there are life events that happen. You introduced me to a term, life quakes you know, about these disruptions. Yeah, this is a term that Bruce Feiler used. Bruce Feiler is a writer. He's written a number of books and he's he's this wonderful blend of scientist and thinker. And he's got sort of the spiritual side and the scientific side down and he, he merges them in this wonderful way. And he wrote a book in particular, the one that I referred to in my book about how people experience change and when they experience change and how common it is. And what he found was that we experience small changes all the time, but we also experience a number of really major life-altering changes throughout our lives. Some of these are invited, some of them are uninvited, some of them are wanted, some of them are unwanted, some of them are positive, some of them are negative. And he talks about things like the death of a loved one, the birth of a child, divorce, separation, marriage, moving to a new country, moving to a very new job or career. These are all really big events and they happen, some of them, in various forms to all of us. And so his book really is about the universality of that kind of change and how poorly we deal with it because we tend to be blindsided by it, despite the fact that across the lifespan, it is inevitable that we will have five or 10 or even 15 of these changes. Mm, amazing. And I guess conversely from the heart, then we move to the head. And some of these challenges just need to be addressed intellectually with research or with steps or with formulas. And, you know, uh, you're speaking to the creative spirit when they say, we don't want to be formulaic, but I'll be darned if you don't share the story of Pixar and one of their story artists that basically says, have you ever noticed that all of our movies have the same formula? <laughs> yes, you know? that's right. So every now and then you just got to get to the recipe, don't you? Yeah, it's it's so funny. There's this this sort of theory that there is radical originality and very successful commercial products or cultural products, whether they're artworks or films or musical scores or songs, it doesn't matter what kind of product we're talking about. Whenever we're talking about creativity, the holy grail is radical originality, but it is vanishingly rare. And that's because the best do it often very similarly to each other. They sometimes bring in new elements or they tweak a formula that works or they'll take two existing things and combine them in new ways. I talk about this and I use the term recombination, that a lot of the best ideas, even if they look like they're radically new, are actually a combination of two or three or more, more things that existed before. 
the genius is in the new combination. It's not in generating something from whole cloth. It's not like you find a new atom in the table of elements. It's just that you take two or three existing elements that you hadn't used in a particular way before and you combine them in just the right way. And uh, this is one of my favorite anecdotes in the book is this story of uh, Bob Dylan. He is most often cited by other musicians as the most truly original voice and musician and talent of the 20th century in the musical world. But when you look at his past, including things that he himself admits about his past and where his inspiration came from, it was all a matter of taking bits and pieces from different parts of, of the musical canon, different genres, merging them in ways that were novel, but the actual building blocks themselves are not. Absolutely. Well, and you address crowdsourcing as a, a way to get unstuck too, that every now and then it's like, hey, let's get thousands of other brains on this. And of course, a uh, little controversy these days about how much AI is contributing to this speeding up of the crowdsourcing. Where, where does the creativity find a, a nice balance there? Yeah, so it's funny. When I was writing this book, it was before the 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 huge wave of generative <laughs> AI was unleashed upon us, and uh, I didn't write about it in the book explicitly, but I've been using it and thinking about it a lot since then. And one of the things that I think generative AI does really, really well is it functions as a brilliant brainstorming partner. I don't think it's the source of the ideas. They don't, it, it doesn't give you the ideas, but it changes how you think, and so. One of the ideas in that diversity and crowdsourcing chapter is that we we often instinctively turn to other people who are a lot like us. They magnify our strengths, they magnify our weaknesses as well, and they basically reinforce what we already believe about the world. And so if what you're really trying to do is to get unstuck, that can be an entrenching force that further mires you. The better way to go is to find a non-redundant source of information or ideas or a non-redundant way of looking at the world. So you speak to someone with a different background, maybe they've had different training, different attitudes or values or cultural beliefs or religious beliefs or whatever the difference might be. The good news about chat GPT and other generative AI models is they are by definition diverse. They are the sum product of all the information that's sort of floating around that they've scraped on the web. And so one thing you can do, and I've done this is to say, I'm writing a chapter. I don't know how to begin the chapter. Here's what it's about. Tell me three different ways I could begin this chapter. Now, I'm not going to use any of them, but having essentially three very smart different ways of doing something, and sometimes they're not smart. They're actually just kind of outlandish and weird, but that's also useful because it just changes the way you in your rut think about this thing and it unlocks something new. And I've, I've found that uh, extremely productive in a creative settings. Yes. And you also mentioned tapping into other people's experiences. Uh, you know, throughout throughout my career in healthcare, dealing with patients and medical research and so forth, uh, you you mentioned a company that was really designed to crowdsource all the experiences that say, you know, patients have spent seven years and hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical visits, uh, and they still don't have a diagnosis. How could we speed that up? You've got yeah, a nice story is... there. Yeah, yeah, this is CrowdMed. Um, it's it's almost like a wiki for for solving complex medical problems that no doctor alone has seemed to be able to solve. And one of the things that I find really interesting about CrowdMed is that they don't just assemble a traditional set of doctors, which they do. You know, they have traditional medical professionals in the areas that matter. And so, if you're dealing with a kidney issue, you'll have a nephrologist, and if you're dealing with a head issue, a brain issue, you'll have a neurologist. But in addition to those people, you'll have people in sort of tangential 
non-redundant fields that don't perfectly overlap. Some of them are not even doctors. They're anthropologists, or they might be psychologists. They might be people with some knowledge about the area, but not a lot. But they're valuable because they throw a pebble in the pond. They change the way that particular issue is is framed. You know, one of the things I was told um, as a when I was in my twenties, um, I I had a chronic uh, stomach issue, and it it prevented me from eating all sorts of foods. And I remember someone saying to me, you know, if you go to a gastroenterologist, that's fine. They'll deal with your stomach, but they just see you as one giant stomach. And that's going to be true about different specialists, that they will see you in, in terms of whatever the lens is that they use to see the world. But you want people, specialists from all sorts of different areas, so that they all bring their own lens to the to the problem. And that's what CrowdMed does so successfully. So good. Well, then the last H on habit, you know, it's like, uh, if we keep going to the well with the same old ideas about how to get unstuck, then we'll be just as stuck. I love your uh, the craftsmanship of the conclusion of the book, where it basically says that if you went through this whole book and just wrote down the idea practically on every page, there would be a hundred ways to get unstuck. And you basically list them. <laughs> so, it's right. I mean, it's almost like a, a randomized, uh, I could just turn to page 247 and get an idea to get unstuck right now. Uh, <laughs> I love, I love this craftsmanship of the writing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. That, that's uh so the last section of the book is about what you can do, but really what you can do, as you've said, is, is there are a lot of very discrete, specific techniques in the book. And I write about them in a way that tries to enliven them so that you can see how they're applied in different settings. But when it, what it all boils down to is this hundred ways to get unstuck is this list of different techniques we can apply. And I mean, it's inevitable that if you have a hundred different things that you can apply to the problem, you're going to find that there is some movement. And the last section in particular, the the last chapter is titled Action Above All, because really what matters the most in the end is, are you acting? Are you doing something? Because that's how you get unstuck. There's no way to get unstuck if you're not doing something. Yes. Well, folks, my guest is Adam Alter. He's the author of a terrific new book called The Anatomy of a Breakthrough, just released now from uh, Simon & Schuster. And Adam, we'd like to talk a little bit about creative process on this podcast. And I can only imagine, uh, as a creative and an author yourself, you must have been stuck uh, along the way here. I mean, in the roller coaster ride of uh, writing a book, where did you find your potholes and how did you kind of push through them? So here's my secret. It's uh, maybe a little bit unusual, but I do get stuck. Certainly. But what I have and what I've amassed over the last 20, 25 years is I have several documents where I collect good ideas over time. I talk about this in the book, actually. So there's one version of the document that's about things that I find interesting enough that they might one day appear in a book. And if I said to you right now, here's a topic, tell me everything you know that's interesting about that topic. It's very difficult to do that in a way that you could construct a book from. But if you spent 25 years Every time you see anything that's remotely interesting to you, compiling those ideas, when you go back to that well and you draw from it, you'll find tremendous inspiration. And so I talk about this keeping of a journal as a kind of long-term practice for unsticking for those moments when it feels like you are mired in a creative pit. And for me, that's been very helpful. And with this book, it was very helpful. I would, whenever I hit a, a roadblock, delve into that, that trove of ideas and either combine two in a new way, recombination, or I would just find one idea that on its own inspired other ideas. 
So I never found myself stuck for all that long. And some of these might be concepts or principles or philosophies, but I mean, there are dozens of stories here. Uh, it must have been quite a challenge to collect and maybe, uh, I guess, apply or put the story next to the concept. Yeah, I mean, that document is very long. Certainly not everything in the document appears in the book, but there was plenty there and, and a lot of inspiration. And so I'd have a link, for example, I'd click on the link and I'd say, oh, that's right. I remember reading 10 years ago about this thing. I wonder what happened with that. And then I'd go down the rabbit hole for a few hours and then that would become an anecdote that I describe in the book. Wonderful. Well, and I love, Adam, uh, little small footnotes in these introductions and bios, including yours, that a couple of years back, you were named the Professor of the Year by the faculty and students at the NYU School of uh, Business there. Uh, what does it take <laughs> to be so, is it popularity? Is it, I mean, certainly your rigor and, and your professorship, you know, contributes to that. But uh, what what is it that might elevate you? And I guess by way of inspiration and encouragement to our listeners. Yeah, so I do two things that I think have been very helpful in my teaching. One of them is a version of what I just described. So if for teaching purposes, I have a document that is good business examples that I can teach MBA students. And so I draw them out whenever they're relevant to a topic. And that way, the class is just a series of what I think of as very rich, vivid, concrete anecdotes, one after another that illustrate the principles that I'm trying to discuss. Because you can make a course unbelievably boring if you want to, or if you don't try very hard. Everything that makes a course interesting is the examples. So you, you've got to have strong examples. And so I make a, a habit of that. But the other thing I do, we spoke about diversity and finding good ideas from the crowd my students have to participate in the class. They get a participation grade for participating during the class itself. They can also get points towards participation by sending me interesting things they find. So over the last 20 years, I've had hundreds of students effectively do my job for me by finding good examples and sharing those with me. And so now I've culled it to the best, the best examples. And the course is just a series of these, what I think of as very rich, vivid, engaging examples. And that that's helped a lot. Yes. Well, and certainly in the world of academia but and publishing, uh, the idea of getting the work up and out, you know, you finally say, this is good, and it's good enough, or it's really reached this kind of confidence level that you're ready to hit the send button. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how do those pressures of being good and right, you know, affect your creativity? Yeah, I've, I've never really been paralyzed by the idea that anything that I do is the last word. I think some people sit and mull over things a lot and there's a perfectionism that goes into it. Um, that's not really how the scientific process works and it's never worked that way for me. I think I'm, I'm lucky in that sense that I don't, I don't hold myself to the sort of perfect standard or standard of perfection. I just do my best. And at the point where I feel that something is ready, where it's rigorous enough that it passes whatever my internal test might be, I unleash it. And if there are responses, I'll deal with those when they come. But uh, yeah, you just have to have a sense of what's what's good enough, what feels right enough for you. And uh, that's, that. In, I talk in the book about the difference between perfection and excellence. Mm -hmm. You've got to try to be excellent, but if you try to be perfect, that's a bar that no one can quite reach. And so that's not the right standard. That's that's worth underscoring for our listeners for sure. Let's go for excellence. Very good. <laughs> exactly. Well, Adam, can't thank you enough for being on our program. And congratulations on the book release. 
Thank you so much. Thanks for your time, Mark. I appreciate yeah, absolutely. it. Absolutely. And I can't help but think that there must be a new file, a new document. Uh, what are some of the new ideas that you're percolating on that may or may not uh, become a future book? Yeah, there are so many of them. It's funny. They don't they don't sort of present themselves as a book, right? They're just all these discrete separate ideas. And it's only in reading them that I I will go back and I'll say, oh, it turns out for the last 15, 20 years, I've been thinking about this problem of how do we how do we get moving again when we're stuck? And they don't, it's not like you have an idea and it says to you, I'm an idea that belongs in a book about stuckness. <laughs> and so uh, I, until I go through that process, which I'll be going through soon because I'm getting itchy to write another one, I don't have a good answer for you yet, but there are certainly lots of little individual nuggets in there. Well, we'll be coming back to you to find out what those are for sure. Thank you. Uh, you've just uncovered a bad habit of mine. It's like, hey, we're trying to celebrate a new book here. Don't ask me about the <laughs> next book. <laughs> it's like when I asked the songwriter, it's like, congratulations on the new song. Hey, what do you else? You What's next? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do the same thing. I totally understand that instinct. And I also, I'm always thinking about what comes next. Yes, very good. Well, listeners, my guest has been Adam Alter. He's a professor of marketing and psychology at the New York uh, University Stern School of Business. He's just re released a wonderful new book called Anatomy of a Breakthrough. Adam, thanks for being on our show. Thanks again, Mark. I appreciate it. And I'll it. put all the uh, links in the show notes so we can find the book, find your work, and uh, follow what else is coming down the road, which Terrific. I know will be fantastic too. Thank well, and listeners, come back again next time. We've we've had our creative journeys now, as I mentioned, almost 250 episodes. And we've been from New York to L.A. We've been from Norway to South Africa, talking with creative practitioners about how they get unstuck, how they get inspired for new ideas and organize ideas, and most of all, gain the confidence and the connections, as we've talked about today, to get our work out into the world. So until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we're unlocking your world of creativity. We'll see you next time. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and thepeaceroom.love. Our podcast is supported by Adobe and the Adobe Creative Cloud, the world's best creative app and services, so you can make almost anything you can imagine wherever you're inspired. We use Adobe to help make this podcast using Audition, InDesign, and more. So join the creative community with the Adobe Creative Cloud, and let's make something better unlocking your world of creativity.